The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. Last week, we started this text by looking at what the gospel is. Paul is, is writing to the church at Corinth, and as we've seen over the last year and a half or so, this is a, this is a church that doesn't really have a lot going well for it. It's a, it's a church that has many, many issues. And as Paul begins to, to close out his letter to the church there, it, it seems that he's sort of narrowing in on what may be the, the biggest issue at hand in the, the church at Corinth was, and that was that they need to be reminded of the gospel. They needed to be reminded of what the gospel is, what it is that they have believed. Church, we must not be confused, but we must have clarity on exactly what the gospel is, that everything hinges on the gospel. That's why Paul writes and says in verse 3, For I delivered to you as first importance what I also received. And then just for clarity's sake, he defines the gospel. That Christ died for our sins in according with the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This is the gospel. The gospel is the work of Christ. It's not just the message that Christ preached. It's not a set of moral laws. It is the work of Christ on the, on the cross that he was crucified for our sins, buried, and risen from the dead. That is the gospel. But how does the gospel play out in our lives? How does it, it work itself out in our lives? Is the gospel just a, a theological understanding? Is the gospel something that you just you know, mentally understand, mental assent? Is the gospel just, in, in our context at least, as, as Baptists, is the gospel just this walking an aisle, this moment, this understanding, or is it more than that? Well, the reality is, is that it is more than that, and that's what the Apostle Paul is reminding the Corinthians of in these first two verses, that the gospel is for all of life. And it's vitally important we understand that. So we, we saw last week what the gospel is. It's the work of Christ. Crucified for our sins, buried and risen again. But that is not just for a decision. That's not just for a moment. That's not just for a church service. That's not just for a prayer. But that is for all of life. And in these two verses we see five ways that the gospel is working in all of life. I want to show those to you this morning. 
Look with me, starting in verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. Paul makes clear what it is he's talking about, what it is he's reminding them of, what the, the subject of this, these verses are. It is the gospel. I'm reminding you, brothers, of the gospel, the work of Jesus on the cross, crucified for our sins, buried, risen on the third day. Remind you, brothers, of the gospel. I preached to you. And here we learn the very first thing about how the gospel works in our life. And that is, first and foremost, that the gospel must be heard. The gospel must be heard. The gospel works through hearing. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 10, verse 14. How then will they call on him whom they have not uh, believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? The gospel must be heard. The way that the gospel is understood, the way that the gospel is received, the way that the gospel is lived out in our lives, the way that a person moves from being an enemy of God to being adopted into the family of God is through hearing the gospel. That's how it happens. You are not born into it. It does not happen through osmosis. You are not saved because your grandmother was saved. You are not saved because you're a good person. You are saved first and foremost, the first step in hearing the gospel. I hope you understand the implications of that, right? That the only way the world will be saved, the only way... That the least of these can come to Christ. The only way that we can take the gospel to the nations is if we do it through the proclamation of the gospel. It must be heard. You've heard this silly phrase. I saw it on a church sign on the way to church this morning. Preach the gospel always and when necessary use words. It is always necessary to use words. You believe through hearing. Paul says, I preach, I want to remind you brothers of the gospel that I preach to you, that I proclaim to you, that I shared with you. The gospel must be heard and it must be heard by each one of us. Then Paul says, which you received. This is the second thing we learn about how the gospel works in our life. It, it first works through hearing. The gospel must be heard. But then secondly, the gospel must be received. When Paul says, which you received, what he is talking about is genuine saving faith. This is hearing the gospel and receiving the gospel. Now, when you receive something, you, you take it in, right? That's what it means to receive something, to, to take it in, to take ownership of it, to, to make something yours. That's what it means to receive something, right? If you receive a gift, you're, you're taking a gift, you're taking ownership of it, you're, you're making it yours, 
This is the second step in the work of the gospel in our lives. We, we hear the gospel, then we take ownership of the gospel, we make the gospel ours. That's what it means to receive the gospel. Here's what, what Jesus said about receiving the gospel in John, or what, what John said about Jesus and those who, who receive the gospel in John chapter 1, in verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. This is, this is Jesus. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. It's the people of Israel. They didn't receive him. They didn't take him in. They didn't welcome him. They didn't take ownership of him. They rejected him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, you you see this correlation of receiving him is to believe in his name. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. In order to become a child of God, you must receive him. You must believe in his name. Now, how does this work? Receiving the gospel, receiving Christ. How does it work? I want to show you the the four-step process in receiving Christ, receiving the gospel. The gospel that I preach to you, which you receive. The first is you hear it. The second is a knowledge that the hearing of the gospel produces in you a knowledge. That's, that's common sense, right? You, you hear the gospel for the first time, that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, that your sin has separated you from God, yet God in His grace has provided a way. He did so through His Son who became flesh, lived among us a perfect and holy life, yet was crucified for our sins, receiving the wrath of God on our behalf, buried and risen again to new life through the power of of God. You hear that and then you gain a knowledge about that. But that gaining a knowledge is not receiving. It's just a second step in receiving. First you hear it, then you gain a knowledge of it, and then thirdly, you come into agreement with it. You hear it, you know it, and then you agree with it, right? Okay, yes, I hear the gospel, I hear these truths, I now know these truths, and I agree with these truths. That I am a sinner, and I need a Savior, and Jesus is that Savior, But that is not receiving it. Instead, you take a fourth step, which is to trust. When you hear and you know and you agree and then you trust, you receive. You move from being an attentive hearer of the facts of salvation to someone who enters into a new relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen, as a living person. To trust is to move from being an attentive hearer of the facts of salvation to someone who enters into a new relationship with Jesus Christ as a living person. And the emphasis there is on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That he is alive. 
Because everything, remember, everything hinges on the resurrection. That's all of chapter 15. Paul's setting this up to argue for the resurrection of Jesus and for our bodily resurrections. To trust, to receive, is to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ as a living person. Receiving is personal trust in the person of Jesus. Not just believing the facts about Jesus. Once you look, in, for example, in, in the most uh, well-known verse in all of Scripture, John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes should not perish but have eternal life. Is that what it says? No, I skipped a phrase, right? But whoever believes in Him... In him. It's not just a belief, it's not just a, a mental assent, it's not just a knowledge, but it is a belief in the person of Jesus Christ. You believe in him. When, when Paul says, I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preach to you, in which you received, what he's saying is, you received my message of Jesus Christ crucified, buried, and risen again. And your receiving of that message means that you entered into a relationship with the living Jesus Christ. That's how you receive. But when we receive this, This receiving always produces repenting. Receiving always produces repenting. There is no receiving of the gospel that does not produce repenting in our life. The repenting is the evidence of the receiving. So what is repentance? I love this definition of repentance by theologian Wayne Grudem. He says it this way, that repentance is a heartfelt sorrow for sin, a renouncing of sin, and a sincere commitment to forsake sin and walk in obedience to Christ. Here's what I like about that definition is, that it emphasizes that repentance isn't just feeling sorry. Repentance isn't just remorse. Repentance isn't just shame. But repentance is sorrow. It is remorse. But it's a sorrow and a remorse that leads to a commitment to forsake sin and follow Christ. That's repentance. Forsaking sin and following Jesus Christ. That is repentance that you see all throughout the scriptures. I'll give you an Old Testament example of this in Isaiah chapter 55 verse 6 and 7. It says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Listen to verse 7. This is repentance. Let the wicked forsake his way. And the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. You see the, the repentance here, this, this, this two-step process of, of repentance, of forsaking his way, his sinful way, and returning to the Lord. It's forsaking sin 
and following Jesus Christ in obedience. This is how the gospel works in our lives. I hope you see it. First, you, you hear the gospel. I want to remind you, brothers, the gospel that I preached to you. Then you re- receive the gospel. That is to trust in the person and the work of Jesus Christ in a way that leads to repentance. I want you to notice the, the tense that Paul uses here. This is past tense, right? I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received. This is past tense. This is what that means. It means that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, or, Lord willing, you will be a believer in Jesus Christ, then you must have a moment when you receive the gospel. That moment must come. And he's saying that moment came for you. If you're here today and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that moment of receiving the gospel, it's a one-time moment in your life that happened for you. If you're going to be saved, Lord willing, today, then today when you receive the gospel, that's that moment for you. But the gospel doesn't just stop in the past. The gospel works in the present. Paul says it this way. Now, I remind you, brothers, of the gospel. First, that I preached to you. Second, which you received. And then thirdly, in which you stand. It's the third thing we learn about the gospel. That the gospel is active in every part of our lives. The gospel sustains Here's what that means. That means that all of the hearing, all of the receiving, all of the trusting, all of the repenting, it is continuous in our life. That the gospel is not a one time and you are done kind of thing. The gospel is an everyday thing. The gospel is an all aspect of our lives thing. The gospel is not just a walk the aisle but it's a lifestyle. Receiving, trusting, and repenting. These are attitudes of our hearts that continue throughout our lives as Christians. That yes, there is a moment where for the first time you hear the gospel in such a way that you receive the gospel. There is a a first time that that happens. And and when that happens, you, you hear it, you know it, you agree with it, you trust it in a way that leads to repentance for the first time. But that doesn't just happen one time. That happens over and over and over and over and over again. That should happen every day in your life. You hear the gospel, you know the gospel, you agree with the gospel, you trust Jesus Christ, and you repent, you repent, you repent. This is, a, this is a, a, an attitude of the heart of forsaking sin and committing to obedience to Jesus Christ. If the receiving of the gospel is the gospel working in the past, then the standing in the gospel is the gospel working in the present. This is how Paul says it to the church at Galatia in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. For I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith 
in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see from Paul this continuous faith in the everyday aspects of his life as the gospel works itself out daily in his living. There is initial saving faith. There is initial Repentance, it only happens one time, but the hard attitude of repentance and faith continue throughout all of our lives. And just as you believed in him, you now stand in him. This is the present. This is a lifetime commitment of following Jesus Christ. Church, you never progress to another message. Never. You never progress to something greater. You you never move on to something better than the gospel. Never. It is the gospel that sustains you. It is the gospel where you find the sure footing for your life as you Stand right now in the gospel. The gospel works in every part of our lives. It works first and foremost through hearing. It works through receiving. And then it works as it sustains us as we stand in the gospel. That's the first three things we learn about the gospel. But then we learn the fourth, that the gospel saves You see it in verse 2, and by which you are being saved. Now I want you to see the totality, the, the, the fullness, the wholeness of the way that the gospel works. The gospel works in the past, right? It works in the past. If you're a believer, it works through through hearing and receiving the gospel. The gospel works in the present as it sustains you, as you stand in the gospel, continually hearing the gospel, repenting of your sins, trusting Jesus Christ, walking in obedience to Him. But the gospel also works in the future, as one day you will be saved. The gospel works in all parts of our lives, past, present, and future, and by which you are being saved. What a great word. I think that word probably in our culture loses some of its weight. To be saved means to be delivered from great danger. It means to be rescued from great peril. The gospel is the power of God to save us from the penalty of our sin, which is death and the wrath of God. Church, you are, as a a sinner, sorry, that's driving me nuts, in great danger. You're in great peril. Our sin has produced in us and for us a situation in which there is great danger waiting for us. And that that danger is the wrath of a holy God. 
Yes, God is love, but God is also just and God is also holy. And he will deal justly with both sin and the sinner. And we stand in great peril because of our sin. Yet the gospel works to rescue us from that danger. The gospel works to rescue us from that peril. The gospel is the power of God to save us from the penalty of our sin. Paul says it this way, church at Rome, chapter 1, verse 16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel For it is the power of God for salvation. For everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to also the Greek. The gospel works and is so powerful that when that day comes, when we stand before a holy God, because we have heard, because we have received, because we have stood, we are now before a holy God, saved from the wrath of God. That when that great day comes, we can stand in confidence, not because of our work, not because of our goodness, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done, because of what the gospel has done and the way that it's worked in our lives to save us from the penalty of our sin. When that great day comes, instead of despair through the gospel, we have hope. That's the work of the gospel in the future. We will be saved. How does the gospel work in our lives? It works first through hearing. It works second through receiving. It works third through standing, sustaining us through every part of our lives. And then fourthly, it works through saving us from the wrath of God on that day. And then the fifth thing that we learn is that the gospel works only if you last. Here's the way Paul says it. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. You see, church, there is a kind of faith that saves And it's a lasting faith. And there is a kind of faith that doesn't save. And it's a faith that doesn't last. Now as you read those verses, you you ought to be, every time you read them, quite frankly, you ought to be shocked You ought to be shocked. You ought to say, oh gosh, which one am I? Am I I one that has genuine saving faith, a faith that that lasts, or am I one that doesn't? Because there's two kinds of faith, a faith that lasts, a faith that saves, a faith that doesn't. And how can you know which it is that you have? Well, the way you know is if you last. That's how you know. In 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 19, 
John says it this way. That they went out from us. These are unbelievers. They went out from us. They left us. But they were not of us. This is a faith that doesn't save. This is a faith that doesn't last. This is a faith that seemed at the moment to be genuine, but in the long run proved to be lacking. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, if they had had genuine faith, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might become that it might be become plain that they all are not of us. You see, the, the test between genuine faith, saving faith, and a faith that doesn't save, and it is a faith that lasts. That's the test. Now, I want to be clear. This is not Losing your salvation. This is never having a saving faith. I want to give you some scriptural evidences of that. We'll look at the words of Jesus himself in John chapter 6, starting in verse 38. He says, For I have come down from the heavens not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him. Remember, this correlation between believing and receiving, that's what Jesus means. Everyone who looks on me and receives me, trusts me, repents of their sins and follows me. Every single person who does that, should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. That is as guarantee as a promise as you will find in the scriptures. When Jesus says he will do something, he will do something. Again in John chapter 10, and starting in verse 27, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. You see what that is? They hear my voice. It's a hearing. I know them, this is a knowledge, and they follow me. That's receiving, repenting, following Jesus Christ. And I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. That to be in Jesus Christ is to dwell securely in Him. When you have genuine saving faith, the Scriptures tell us you will last. You will last. But there are some who for a moment seem to have genuine saving faith. But in the end... They fall away into unbelief. That's what it means to believe in vain. That only those who persevere to the end have been truly 
born again. John chapter 8, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. If you abide, if you remain. Matthew chapter 10, verse 22. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 21. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which Paul, I, Paul, became a minister. Listen, church, this is not a warning about losing your salvation. This is a warning about having a faith that does not save. A faith that's in vain. A faith that doesn't last. Now, I want to be clear. We just sang it. I want to be clear that one's ability to hold firmly to Jesus Christ is not a means of being saved or staying saved. Your ability to hold on to Jesus Christ is not a means to be saved. That's not how you are saved. But your ability to hold fast to Jesus is an evidence that you are firmly held by him. To persevere and to keep the faith is not an ability that comes from me and it's not a reason for which I am saved. But my ability to keep the faith comes from being held by Jesus Christ. It comes from hearing the gospel, receiving the gospel, standing in the gospel in such a way that comes from the power of God working in my life to keep me saved. Our continuing isn't the means of salvation, but it's the evidence that it has taken place. When we believe with saving faith, Christ holds us fast. I hope you see that. I just want to remind you, while Paul's writing these words, I want to remind you of the context at Corinth here. These Corinthians were falling away. They were falling away. They were standing up in a worship service and saying, I just received a word from God and here it is. Jesus Christ is accursed. They were falling away and Paul's reminding them to say, I'll remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and which you stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast and don't believe in vain. 
This is how the gospel works in our life, church. It's not just theology. It's not just doctrine. But it is every day the power of God at work in our lives to sustain us, to see us through, to hold us firmly, to keep us believing. And so how can you know? How can you know today if you have this kind of faith? Well, the first question I would ask you is, have you heard? Have you heard the gospel? Or have you just stopped there? Maybe you heard the gospel as a child and you agreed with the gospel and you understand the facts of the gospel and you say, yeah, I believe that those things are true. But has that hearing and has that knowledge and has that agreement moved from there into a trust? Into a faith? In the person of Jesus Christ risen from the dead? Into a relationship with Him that causes us to forsake our sin and follow Him in obedience? Have you done that? Can you honestly say that today my standing is in the gospel? It's not in my own power. It's not in my own strength. It's not in my own abilities. My standing is in the gospel sustaining me. If you've never done that, if you can't say that is you, And today's the day for salvation. Today's the day for you right where you are to say, God, I have heard the gospel. I agree with the gospel. But more than that, I trust the work, the person of Jesus Christ. And I turn, I forsake my sin, and I follow you in obedience. And in that moment with true saving faith, you are born again and you are held securely in Jesus Christ. And you can experience the gospel working. And One day you'll look back and you'll say it worked in the past, March the 17th. And it's working in the present as I stand. It's working in the future as I'm being saved. Because I've been held fast by Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit ChristCentralChurch.net.